Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we have Atul Satija joining us from India. Atul is the Chief Executive Officer of the Nudge Foundation, and they focus on poverty alleviation at scale. We're going to be looking at philanthropy and philanthropic work within an Indian context, and we're going to be drilling into their belief that India can indeed become a poverty-free country within our lifetimes. So we're going to explore how that uh, very grand ambition can actually become a reality. They've also just announced the launch of the Nudge Institute, and we're going to find out a bit about that as well. So without further ado, Atul, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Alberto, thank you so much for hosting me. I'm a big fan of your show and looking forward to this chat. Excellent. Well, welcome. And uh, let's find out a little bit about the Nudge Foundation. What's it all about? Alberto, we started about six and a half years back uh, when we realized that uh, India is making good progress to pull large number of people out of poverty. Uh, the backdrop of Nudge was India was able to get about 273 million people out of poverty between 2006 to 2016. And uh, I was wondering, you know, what will it take to get the entire population that is underprivileged, living below the basic means, out of it? And uh, uh, with that aspiration, we started the Nudge Foundation. And over the last six and a half, seven years, we've been working on that problem. Uh, lots of failures, lots of learnings, but uh, some interesting wins and uh, hits as well. And uh, we have served about 15 million people over the last six years, working on livelihoods of people, both in urban settings, as well as in rural settings, along with building some infrastructure for other nonprofits to scaling their poverty alleviation work as well. Mm -hmm. And where are you based? How many people do you have working there? Where do you operate? How do you operate? So, Alberto, we started our work uh, based out of Bangalore. And uh, we are a team of about uh, 400 people. We call them Nutsters. So, we are 400 Nutsters. Along with the people that we have in Bangalore, most of our teams are actually working on the ground in communities. We work in tribal communities in one of the poorest states in India called Jharkhand, where we work in 110 villages. We also work in Uttar Pradesh, which is the largest uh, state in India, with the population the size of Brazil. And uh, we work in about seven districts there uh, and touch about 100,000 households through our direct work there. Along with that, we also have teams in New Delhi uh, across the entire Karnataka and some parts of uh, the staff that is working remotely now because of COVID and teaching students online. Uh, in communities, admitting students into our programs in uh, uh, the rural parts of southern states of India as well. And uh, before we get into the actual work that you're doing on the front lines, give us a little bit of insight into how you're funded and uh, what that whole side of it looks like. So what's driving you guys? Like most nonprofits, Alberto, all of our work is funded by philanthropic capital. We do have a, an SPV, a special purpose vehicle with the Planning Commission of India, Niti Aayog. They run an Atal Innovation Mission, which is about entrepreneurship. So we run a social entrepreneurship incubator in the country. Along with that, uh, we are funded by 
the CSR uh, component of the Indian corporates funding. We work with close to about uh, 50 corporate partners in the country, from the likes of uh, Cisco to HSBC to uh, Google to Facebook to LinkedIn uh, to many other banks in the country like HDFC Bank, uh, RBL and others. So it's a mix of companies across uh, industry sectors. We also work with a large number of foundations in India and globally, the likes of uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Skoll Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, as well as Indian foundations like uh, Nilekni Philanthropies and Tata Trust. So it's a, it's a good mix of all kinds of uh, funders, but very uh, heavily skewed towards the corporates in India, given the, the, the CSR law mandated companies to do charity and that opened up large uh, amount of capital for our work. Right, right. And you yourself, you have a strong corporate background as well. Give us a little bit of a take on that journey. I spent about uh, 17 years, Alberto, in the corporate sector before jumping into the nudge. Uh, it was mostly a career in tech. I used to be in the business roles in companies like Google, uh, Adobe, Infosys, Samsung. And uh, my most recent stint before jumping into the social sector was uh, with one of India's early uh, entrepreneurial journeys that became one of India's early unicorns, a company called Inmobi. I was the chief business officer there. So I got a chance to build a global operations for the company which I realized after coming to the social sector was in some sense uh, hugely useful to the organization and our mission because that gave us access to resources across the country that most early stage nonprofits uh, usually struggle with. So it allowed us to remain focused on the mission and worry less about fundraising compared to other nonprofits. So you have this grand ambition, very noble ambition, to make India a poverty-free reality within our lifetimes, however we define that. But let's say within the next, uh, well, in your case, you mentioned the next 25 years as a sort of time horizon. Is that a realistic goal? Besides being a very noble cause, is it realistic? So, Alberto, the way we look at this is, see, India is celebrating 75 years of its independence. We just had India's budget announced uh, a few weeks back. And uh, the Prime Minister of India also said the next 25 years are going to be what he announced as Amrit Kal, like an era in which you will see a lot of goodness happen. I personally think that uh, it's a moral and social responsibility of a country that has grown so well, especially in the last two decades, that before we hit 100 years as an independent nation, we should be able to pull, we should try to pull and make sure there is no stone unturned to get every Indian out of poverty to live a dignified life. So part of it is moral responsibility, I feel. Personally, I feel poverty is offensive in a world of so much means. But I think leaving the uh, sort of, you know, the romantic part of uh, wanting to see a poverty-free India in our lifetime aside, a rational part of me really thinks it is possible. I just mentioned that India was able to pull 273 million people in a decade out of poverty. What we have left with is just about 450 million people. Because of COVID, the numbers are very difficult to measure, but something in that range. Now, with today's resources that India has, which is more than five times of what we had in 2005, with lesser number of poor, 
and with the journey of india's economic growth that is still ahead of us for the next few decades it is not a tall order to imagine that uh, 473 million people can be pulled out of poverty we have to realize that you know when india got independence our population was 350 million people but 70% of india was in poverty today our poverty rate is down to 30% the numbers are still large but we have dropped the poverty rate at the same time uh, today the access that technology has given uh, to the last mile is unprecedented in india compared to any other country india has the cheapest mobile data market technologies powers are also exploding every 5 years and a lot of the uh, lubrication required to get welfare access to people at the last mile resources that people have to take to the last mile non profits ability to drive effect, efficient programs and effective programs they are all at a very different level so i feel that uh, it is definitely very doable uh, i'll be surprised if we are not able to get to that uh, much before 25 years i also think that uh, the civil society in the country despite the challenges of the country's landscape and you know very federated politics at a state level Uh, the civil society in the country has really responded well especially seen in the last two years in covid the appreciation of civil society's work in the last two years has been appreciated by governments and markets and the privileged uh, upper middle class and the rich society as well and that allows a level of trust and access that civil society organizations did not have before so i am very bullish uh, given all these factors that we can imagine it it will require some large scale social transformations very similar to how we have seen in with it in india or with the chinese manufacturing and giga factories there or we saw in uh, the tiger economies right the korea the taiwan the hong kong and even japan post the second world war right they build their countries in 70s 80s and 90s uh, and i think we are at that stage where social transformations are taking less and less time and they are bigger and bigger we have seen what happened in tech we are seeing what's happening in financial inclusion in india with the upi which has already crossed us and it's like five times bigger than us now and it is already crossing china uh, in its inclusion so it's a very unique country at a unique point in time uh, trying to sort of flex its muscles to get everybody out of poverty and i think it's very possible and now you guys are all about uh, poverty alleviation at scale What's that work look like now? What's the poverty alleviation at scale look like right now? So Alberto right now we are working with the young people in the country uh, who are coming from underprivileged backgrounds. Uh India is uh, getting 1 million people enter the job market every month and will continue continue for the next decade which means we'll add roughly a Japan uh, to the labor force uh, just in the next 10 years. if not more right so it's the uh, world's largest demographic uh, time bomb coming out of india's uh, population pyramid we work with these young people and make sure that before they hit the job market or just about when they hit the job market they are not unemployable unemployed or underemployed we want to get them capable to a point where they are entering the job market with sufficient soft skills and foundational skills so they can find their careers in a manner that they lead dignified lives so we run skill development programs largely on communication and 21st century skills 
that allows people to go and take any service oriented job it could be retail bpo hospitality sectors like that where uh, you know a large part of india's gdp and increasingly increasingly a large part of our resilient livelihoods are coming from that is one part of our work second part part of our work uh, alberto is on rural side i mentioned how india has 400 450 million people in poverty where markets can do the trickle down it is going to be easier for india to get people out of poverty because they are at the edge of it the most difficult segment will be the bottom uh, uh, of that uh, base india has roughly about 23 million households living in extreme poverty that's about 100 to 125 million people increasingly a large part of our work is focused on saying if the puck is anyway going to be pulling the people at the edge of poverty out the ones that will be left out are the ones that we should disproportionately focus on because the markets will not be able to reach them so we work with the ultra poverty households and through women at the center we work with them on supplementary livelihoods like goatry poultry and fishery and we also work with them through evidence based proven models like the graduation approach that drag started doing in 2002 to 2005 zone which is now very well documented as a evidenced uh, program uh, one of the cheapest ways to pull families out of extreme poverty so we use that design to implement in uh, rural parts of the country which are uh, also in hdi indicators the the poorest one of the things that government of india is also doing alberto is that we have an aspirational districts program where government of india has prioritized the poorest districts with the poorest indicators and they are pumping in money resources access and prioritization to get that audience uh, out of it so we are partnering with state agencies and central agencies to also focus on that these are two big themes uh, you know two big themes of our work alberto and with your well you mentioned you have about 400 people within the nudge foundation itself you must work with uh, a number of delivery partners on the ground beyond those 400 people that is correct we have a very large ecosystem of partners in our work on the goatry and poultry side for example in uttar pradesh we partner with large number of uh, uh, organizations like the goat trust magic bus hug darshak and many others and they are implementing the programs on welfare access to the people who got impacted by covid to running goatry and poultry programs to working with the state livelihood missions and helping working with them with the uh, manrega program that's a flagship program of government of india to provide employment guarantee to uh, the poorest of the poor so that is one part of our partnerships the second part of our partnerships is into the non profit ecosystem that we incubate and accelerate we have graduated alberto from our indirect work about 100 nonprofits over the last four and a half five years and all these nonprofits go on and do their own poverty alleviation work across various subsectors uh, across various parts of the country many of them are now forbes 30 under 30 asia many of them got an awards like the mit sol finalist in us uh, one of them got the earthshot uh, investments uh, a couple of months back so all doing really well uh, amazing innovations coming out of that so it's a large ecosystem that we work with in the country to make the the impact uh, happen so you have this multifaceted approach and you mentioned the ecosystem multifaceted approach 
and now you just launched the Nudge Institute. What's the Nudge Institute? So Alberto, it's a it's a big bet for us, of course. We realize that uh, you know we have been trying to do this work for the last five to seven years. We've been a very lucky organization that uh, we got amazing support from various stakeholders, governments, uh, corporate partners, foundations. We have some amazing talent in the organization. One of the best nonprofit uh, talent pool in the country. If I if I were to say from my colored lens. We were reimagining, you know, when we hit our five years saying, if we are in the social sector for the next 15, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, what is the role that we want to play in this journey of India's uh, development, India's journey towards being a poverty-free country? And we realized that we need to probably reimagine our role in this journey. And when we looked around for inspiration, we realized that there are these big social shifts that I mentioned. Uh, like the IT in India, but in the social context, we have seen, for example, the polio eradication that Bill Gates championed for a long period of time and managed to get the world uh, polio free, uh, large parts of the world polio free. Similarly, we have seen how uh, the white revolution in India got large number of small dairy farmers participate in market economy, get access to markets through collectivization, technology, innovation, and policy changes. And now we have like large number of tens of millions of dairy farmers across the country benefiting from it. We have seen the microfinance movement that traveled from Muhammad Yunus's work in Bangladesh and even Seva in India has been doing it, uh, how it traveled across the world to get 50, 60, 70 million people in India getting microfinance. That's like 70 million families. When we looked at these examples, we realized that these examples require certain common set of muscles and capabilities to make big social shift happen. So where we are, Alberto, now is that we are transitioning from what we were operating as, which is the Nudge Foundation, to a much more ambitious, reimagined role for ourselves in the India's development journey through a, a, a 2.0 version of us, which we are calling the Nudge Institute. The Nudge Institute is an action institute, which is working towards a poverty-free India within our lifetime. The approach we are taking with the Institute is that we will partner with governments, market players, as well as the civil society to make sure that we are building resilient livelihoods for all Indians. That's the center of it. The way we are imagining the Institute is that the Institute will run a few centers, which are problem sets. For example, climate change impacting the livelihoods of the poor is a well-known fact, right? We've seen in Bangladesh, with the largest number of climate migrants that's starting to happen in India as well. Imagine a center that is looking at problems uh, of that nature. Each center like that then works on a few programs with each program having a potential to impact tens of millions of lives in its uh, 10 to 15 year journey. And we put all of our capabilities in service of these programs that go and make large scale social change happen. Now, obviously, as I said, to make this social change happen, we will partner with all players, governments, markets, and civil society. But we will assume the role of an enabler, uh, somebody who's a service provider, a catalyst, and sometimes even figuring out how do we orchestrate resources required, access required, convening required, uh, innovation required to make these social changes happen. So that's a big shift from where we were. We were a direct impact organization thinking scale. But now we are increasingly going to be a collaborative organization 
focusing on large scale social change partnering with everyone with shared goals and interest and the centers that you mentioned how would people uh, were they be physical centers where people would go to would you have research coming out of them would be would it be a focal point where people simply interact with each other and you know do knowledge sharing what do these centers look like that would be scattered throughout so alberto at some point we may even have a physical campus for the institute but it is not an academic or purely a research institute it is an action institute uh, obviously uh, thought uh, without action is not useful and action without thought is not impactful so while the institute will be 80% action we will have a 20% capacity for thinking advocacy influence convening uh, knowledge and research as well which is a soft aspects of our work and that will be housed uh, with common set of resources being leveraged by all centers and programs uh, but a large part of work will continue to be in partnership with various actors across the country where actual needs on the ground are which is where the poverty of uh, india is Uh, so we'll be working in all the all the priority districts, aspirational districts, uh, the big states like Uttar Pradesh, Bihar, Jharkhand, Odisha, West Bengal, uh, Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh, and beyond. Uh, but Bangalore will continue to be the base for the Naj Institute that we've announced. Mm. And how do you decide which sort of thematic areas you'd like to really focus on, or which ones are the most highest priority, as it were? we want to be very very focused on livelihoods uh, as the center point of our work we want to see every indian have a livelihood that is dignified sustainable and resilient and all of our work will be around this now obviously in the rural areas livelihoods largely mean farm based livelihoods so we will have agri and uh, dairy and animal husbandry linked outcomes uh, livelihoods and some of our work is already in that area in urban areas it's obviously a much wider canvas because people are doing self employment in the informal sector that's a large part of india there are formal jobs that are growing now in msmes and in larger enterprises there is also this large gig economy jobs that are coming in with the with the new age uh, industries and the nature of work and along with that there is also entrepreneurship micro entrepreneurship that people do when they are hiring one two or three people and run a small informal business so our work will touch all of these four we will follow the capability model of change which means we want to make people uh, have higher capabilities to participate in india's growth journey as well as the opportunity model of change which is bring opportunities so people can benefit from it so both ends will be uh, used in our urban livelihoods domain excellent i love the um, i love the whole collaborative spirit what sort of conversations might there be going on between you guys and somebody like in the climate collaborative or or indeed other collaboratives that are out there that are really pulling together resources multi-sectoral resources yeah it's a very very good and very important question alberto i think how does civil society collaborate and not just cooperate or just uh, coordinate you know you go from coordination to cooperation to collaboration we really aspire to collaborate with all the players who share uh, the ownership of the problem the poverty alleviation but also bring complementary skills and perspectives to the problem uh, otherwise it's more of the same and in that aspect we will look at working with academics 
and intellectuals to understand uh, their complex uh, and deeper understanding of the poverty as a problem. Uh, we will be partnering with institutions, academic, as well as think tanks to sort of build uh, our knowledge on top of their understanding. We are going to be partnering with organizations that are larger foundations that have owned problem sets for a long time. Like you mentioned, ICC came out of various foundations wanting to invest in climate as a collaborative uh, work area. And uh, we will look at working with all of these people who have been interested in, for example, climate change impacts livelihoods, but so does gender, right? Gender and uh, livelihoods are very deeply connected. Land and property rights, such as livelihoods. Uh, so all of these horizontals uh, we will work with. We will work with technology companies, for example, to understand the role that technology will play in disrupting livelihoods or enabling livelihoods. So we are prepared for both ends. Uh, doing hackathons with various companies, creating solutions, uh, incubating startups. All of these are sort of the areas that we are evaluating and studying. Right now, where we are spending more time on than uh, touching climate change and other areas, Alberto, is going uh, and building a deeper understanding of our work on the agri side and dairy side, as well as on the skill development side, because that's been the past work uh, that we have done. So we have partnered with Indian Institute of Management in Lucknow, for example, for agribusiness to jointly innovate in that state. Uh, we have partnered with Ministry of Rural Development with the project management unit to jointly collaborate on extreme poverty and how we should attack that in the next decade. We are working with UP government through a state rural livelihood mission on how can they can create Pashu Sakhis, which is like uh, uh, you know friends of animals to get the goatry and poultry happening across the state at large scale. We are working with uh, the Planning Commission of India, which is now called Niti Aayog, uh, on various aspects of social entrepreneurship and innovation. We work with the Karnataka government uh, through what we call the Indian Administrative Fellowship, so that the state level reforms and initiatives and missions have the private talent coming in to partner with public officials to make uh, big changes happen. So that's where the current focus is, but we evolve to touch all areas, like you said. I'm sure you will involve in a very positive way. The um, So we know exactly what that success looks like to you, poverty alleviation throughout the whole of India within our lifetimes, making it, getting rid of it entirely. What about if we're looking at a slightly shorter, near time horizon, say in the next five years, what, what is it that you'd love to have nailed down very nicely um, within the next five years? Alberto, a good way to describe how the journeys will play out is what we are calling the three P's for social change at scale. The first is the prototype. The second is propagate. And the third is proliferate. All large scale social change starts with very good prototypes that are able to make impact happen at a small scale where you have an effective solution. Once you have an effective solution, you want more and more players, actors to start uh, doing that. How microfinance traveled from Bangladesh to livelihood nonprofits in the country doing that work. So you want good ideas to propagate. Unlike companies that want to control value, here you want to distribute ideas for scale. So propagation is basically taking an idea that works and making large number of players do that. 
once they start to do that they start customizing that idea making it work in different contexts different geographies different realities and different maturity uh, uh, situations once you know that the variations of the idea are getting replicated all with impact evidence starts to come in meaningfully then you want to figure out how does it proliferate to become a large industry serving a large number of people so in 5 years i am imagining that the naj institute will have a couple of programs that are starting to be in the proliferation phase beyond propagation phase in the next 5 years a lot of our work will be to take our ideas that we know are working in a prototype lab which itself is like you know uh, tens of thousands of people if not hundreds of thousands of people but we're taking that to the propagation stage in the next few years my hope is that it's a very high risk low probability bet but i think it is worth uh, doing if you really want to aspire for uh, you know a poverty free india within our lifetime ah uh, well here's to your success on that front and i love the fact that you've definitely given this a lot of thinking the, the strategic thinking behind this what's that um what's that key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode i think the number one thing i would say is that india can indeed aspire to be a poverty free country before it becomes a 100 years old independent nation is my first key uh, message for everyone the second would be that india needs large number of institutions like what we are trying in multiple domains as we go from being a developing country to a developed country and make sure that everybody in the country benefits from it so the infrastructure part of uh, the build out of the country is very critical that we all have to invest in and the third is we are looking for partners in our journey so if there is talent across the globe that's hearing you alberto uh, and aspires to come to india and contribute would love to have them participate in the nat journey of poverty alleviation if there are organizations with amazing skills capabilities uh, who want to partner in this journey would love to welcome that conversation as well uh, excellent Excellent. Well, you you've heard it here. Great takeaways. I asked for just one, you gave me three. Perfect. Very nice. I like that. And look, Atul, thank you very much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure meeting you and learning from you and I wish you continued success on this journey and I hope your uh, your grand ambition for a poverty-free India becomes a reality in the not too distant future. Thank you so much, Alberto. Perfect, and that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Atul Satija, Chief Executive Officer of the Nudge Foundation. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And to get information about this episode and more than 150 other interviews with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lidji.org. That's l-i-d-j-i.org. Please leave us a rating and a review if you enjoy the show. And I'll catch you next week.